Well, good morning again. I think I'm on. Yes, good. So I just got to clarify uh, Ernie's lack of trust in modern technology. Is uh, you can give online, and in fact, I was called this week that uh, that Clara was trying to give online, but I had screwed something up. So I fixed it. So if Clara can give online, <laughs> right? All right. Thank you, Clara, for that. Uh, but I should just mention. If you do give online right now, we have a, there's a couple of places you can give. You can give to just to the general donation or the general fund, which just goes everywhere to the church. If you want to donate directly to Chili Night, you can do that as well now. And then for the next, this week and next week, you can also donate to the Christmas Missionary Fund online now. Uh, however, you will not get a tax receipt for that one. So just put that in your brain so that you're aware of that. Uh, and then we'll take that off in a couple of weeks. Then it'll just be back to those two funds. Uh, if you want to open to Luke chapter 2 here, I'm going to pray as we flip there, and then we're going we're gonna to read through this. So let's, let's just bow. God, thank you for this morning. God, you are good. You alone are worthy of our worship, and, and we want to declare your name this morning. God, as we prepare our hearts and our minds for this Advent season, every year it's crazy to think that December is already here seems to come faster and faster, but God, as we, as we fight the busyness of the cultural norms of this time of year and try to focus on you, would you reveal your truth to us, specifically from the scripture this morning and the hope that we can have in you. God, we love you. Amen. So Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to camp out, and I'm going to get there in just a few minutes, but, but just before we get there, uh, how many love the Christmas season? And how many are Scrooges? No, you don't need to put your hand up. That's okay. Christmas is, uh, in our house, Christmas is kind of a big deal. Uh, Shayla is excellent at decorating, and I'm excellent at putting it where she tells me to. Uh, I have no eye for that, but we, uh, she just loves the season, loves to go driving around, see the lights and the decorations and everything. And, and it just, there's, there's a certain uniqueness to this time of year that stands out from the rest, unless you work at the Christmas store. Then, uh, then maybe that's just all year. But uh, the tough thing for us as Christians is we understand that the reason we feel differently about this season is because we're leading up to this pivotal moment in history of the birth of Jesus Christ. The cultural norms around us are looking at things like uh, more sales, uh, Boxing Day, uh, Black Friday. We, had, we went to Calgary to visit my brother yesterday. And uh, we had, you know, when you're in Calgary, you're like, well, you've got to do a little bit of shopping. It was a nightmare. People are crazy. Uh, we should strike that from the website. I didn't say that. Uh, but it was just, it was nuts. Uh, and just the intensity and the stress and the, uh, it's like, it's like where you say taking your kids to Disneyland's the happiest thing in the world, and then they're just screaming in the corner. And I don't know, maybe you've never had that. But when we went, we didn't have children. But I, I was thinking, this is a grown-up's place, not a kid's place. Is Christmas can be so hectic and can be so stressful for us that we miss the whole reason for it. And I think, I think that's Satan's ploy on Christmas, is to try and get us so busy and so distracted that we lose focus of what's important. And what's real. And so the next four weeks as we celebrate Advent, we're going to look at some specific themes. And this morning is the theme of hope. We want to remind ourselves that, that we have a hope that as this time of year comes, as these weeks come, and as, as we hear songs on the radio, and, and it shocks me every year that you stand at Canadian Tire and you hear Jesus' name proclaimed. 
Yeah, there's lots of other Christmas songs that have nothing to do with Christ proclaimed, but when else do you get to hear that proclaimed in just everyday world? And so it's just a wonderful opportunity for us to show and explain and describe the hope that we have. The word Advent itself literally means coming or arrival. And so from, from the Old Testament perspective, they were awaiting this arrival of the Messiah. They knew that God had promised Jesus was going to come, and they were awaiting that. We no longer wait that in the same way. Christ has come, but the best part of, of what we wait for now is the second coming of Christ. And so it's, it's fitting that we're celebrating communion uh, afterwards, and we're going to remind ourselves uh, of the price that Jesus paid for our freedom so that we could go to heaven. But we anticipate in communion, just like this morning with hope, that Christ is coming again. And that's where our hope should come from. Despite the circumstances that we find ourselves in, the difficulties, the stress, the family difficulty that maybe we're facing right now, whatever those things are, is we can know for certainty that Christ is coming again and all those things will fade. There will be no more pain. There will be no more hurt. There will be no more stress. There will be no more anger. That's what our hope should be in. However, maybe a more realistic question to ask, because sometimes we lose our focus, is what is our hope in right now? When we woke up this morning, was our hope that we would get to church without starting a fight with our kids, or our kids starting a fight with us? Were we hoping, uh, we saw the Christmas tree, and there's presents under there, and we're hoping, please, not underwear and socks this year. Though if you're an adult, just FYI, that's a very good gift. It's just for kids. They don't like that one as much. Are we, are we thinking, okay, I've got to get ready. We've got family gatherings coming, and, and the family is not as, as whole as we would like it to be right now. None of those things are bad things. But they are only a shadow. They're only a taste of where the ultimate hope comes from. And when we have hope in Christ, we can have hope in all those other things as well. So, I came across this quote, and I wanted to read this, because this is going to kind of frame the whole, the whole message this morning. It's from Josh Patterson, who is a pastor at the Village Church in Texas. He says this, Hope is not based on probabilities. Hope is based on promises. I'm going to read that again. Hope is not based on probabilities, but based on promises. That phrase has kind of stuck with me um, as I started to go through... Uh, this season of hope again and this idea is it kept coming back to me, this quote, because our hope is not in what might happen. Our hope is what is in promised to happen. And I think there's a very big difference for that. If you think of in Hebrews 11, uh, it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And a number of weeks back when Russ was here, he opened that passage up very well for us to show us that that hope is not this, this grasping at something we don't know, but this guarantee of what God has promised, yet it hasn't been fulfilled. And we know that it is coming. We know that Christ's second coming is a guarantee. But there's so much other stuff that we maybe hold out hopes for that are not based on promises. You could hold out hope that the Toronto Maple Leafs are going to win the Stanley Cup finally. That's, all, that's a misguided hope but one that I have every year. And it fails me and lets me down. We can have hope that you're going to win the lottery next uh, week and then all your financial problems will go away. All that kind of hope is just is grasping at near impossibilities. Things that are not based in reality, but things are based on this desperate desire to want something. A hope based on the return of Christ 
That's a promise from Scripture to us that we know we can have certainty in. And praise the Lord for that. To use the language of Romans 8, 19, we can hope and eagerly await it with expectation. Not thinking, will it happen? But when it happens. So let's read uh, the account in Luke 22, uh, pardon me, Luke 2, verses 22 to 38. And we're going to read the story of this man, Simeon. And he's not in the scriptures a whole lot, and so you can be forgiven if, you, if that name doesn't ring a bell. But we're just going to read through this and explain a little bit of Simeon's hope. So starting in verse 22, it says this, And when the time came for their faithful purification, so this is right after Jesus has been born, Mary and Joseph, uh, have brought Jesus, and they're going to the temple to present him. So when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifices according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came in the Spirit into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that Thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phinuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and praying night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So a little bit of context for this story is there's a, this is a unique time in history, and not only in that the Messiah comes, but as you read through the Old Testament, God speaks uh, through his prophets and through temple worship, and all of a sudden there's this, this ceasing of that, and now there's what the scholars call 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, where now there's no longer the prophets declaring. There's no longer God's word being declared to people. They have some scrolls, uh, specifically the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible that they continue to worship. But there's been 400 years of silence. But right from the beginning, God had promised that there would be this Messiah. That sin would be dealt with in some way and somehow. And and the prophecies are all through Scripture. How much the people really grasped, we're not 100% sure of. But they were waiting for this moment. And then all of a sudden, 400 years of silence. As I was thinking about that as would that make it insanely difficult to wait and to say, I'm going to trust. God is going to do this. God is going to fulfill his promise. 
Or perhaps maybe it was easier to become cynical and think it's never going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. And I think in our own ways now, as Christ came 2,000 years ago and he was promised to come again, and it seems like in the New Testament, everyone kind of believed that was going to happen quickly. And and it didn't, and we still wait 2,000 years later. And do we wait with eager expectation the coming of Christ, or is it just something that maybe we're cynical of, or maybe we're not cynical of, but we don't even pay attention to because, well, he hasn't come in 2,000 years. Is it likely he's going to come in the next few? But here we have Simeon. Simeon is eagerly waiting. And, and I don't want to skip over this because this is important. It's the very beginning of the text. It says Mary and Joseph go into the temple. They're following the law as prescribed to them, what the traditions of uh, their people are. And, but they know that this is the Messiah. The angel has shown up and said, this is, this is the Christ. He's going to change everything. And, and they know that. And how much have they told anybody? Totally a speculative thing. I don't know. But my guess is if, if Mary had given birth to the Messiah, she probably wasn't out there declaring to everyone, yeah, I'm the first virgin in history to give birth to the Immaculate One, the, the, the Savior of the world. I think rather she was waiting for God to do that. And so we have them coming in to the temple to do the things that they're called to do. And so it says in verse 25, there was this man in Jerusalem. His name was Simeon. And notice about Simeon. He was a righteous and he was devout man. But notice this, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Wayne Grudem and Thomas Schreiner explain this verse that way. They say the consolation is the hope that God would come and he would come to rescue and comfort his people. That was what he was waiting for. His people to be rescued from tyranny, to be rescued from oppression, and to be comforted. And we know now with hindsight that Christ's mission was not just to provide comfort. It was not just to liberate the, the Israelite people but, or the Jewish people, but rather it was to save everyone. It was to go to, for Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that all of us could be forgiven. But how much of that they knew as you go through the Testament becomes more and more clear as even the disciples say to Jesus at one point, when are you going to liberate us? When are you going to free us from this? In the book of Acts at the beginning, is, is that's the question that the disciples ask. And they say, when is this going to happen? And that's that famous verse in Acts 1.8 when Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in all uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' plan, God's plan, was far bigger and far greater than anything that we could have known. So how much did Simeon understand about the Messiah? Well, we don't really know. But what we do know is he was righteous and he was devout. And we do know that he had been promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before seeing the Messiah. Now, interesting enough, we we don't know in Scripture where in the timeline that happened, whether Simeon was a young man and was told that and years had gone by. Kind of think of it in the the sense of of Abraham, where God promises to Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation. and, And he has to wait a long time. Or perhaps the Holy Spirit had just informed Simeon later in his years of life that don't worry, before you pass, this is what's going to happen. We don't know if he's been waiting a long time or a short time, but what we do know is he has been righteous and he has been devout, waiting for this moment. The consolation of Israel. So we read it this way. 
He came, that's talking about Simeon in verse 27. He came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the customs of the law, he took him in his arms and he blessed God. So the first thing to notice there is, is Simeon is living his life by the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit has promised, you are not going to taste death until this happens. But in this very case where, where Mary and Joseph are there, he doesn't know that this, this child is the Messiah, except for the fact that the Spirit brings him in in that moment to pick up and to hold this child and reveals to him, this is the Lord's anointed one. And so he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. It's this moment of it's finished. And the crazy part is, Simeon doesn't even seem to be worried about what it's actually going to look like. His hope is in the promises of God. God fulfills this promise to him in this moment, and he doesn't say, now what? What's going to happen? How is this going to look? And, and what's Jesus going to do? He says, the first thing he says is, now I can depart, because I know you fulfilled your promise, and that's good enough for me is that was terribly convicting for me this week, is how often do I want God not only to show me the beginning of something, but I want him to show me the whole thing so I'm clear about it? Or do I just step out in faith knowing, okay, God, you've called me to this, and I don't, I don't understand what this looks like, or, or what this means, or how it's going to turn out, or what it might cost me? Simeon didn't care. Just like Abraham in Genesis 15, verse 6 where Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. When we trust in God's promises, we are viewed from God's perspective as righteous. Because we're not questioning. We're not saying, but God, what if? Yesterday, for our first Advent, we read through um, Luke chapter 1 together as a family. And as we were uh, considering that, is, is you see a couple of things. Is Zachariah, who's John the Baptist's dad, is he's promised your son is going to prepare the way for the Christ. And how does he respond? That can't happen. Disbelief. And what happens to him? The angel basically says, look, I'm Gabriel. Like, I can do what I want. And you're just going to stand there and say, you can't do that. And so he says, is the punishment for that or the consequence for that? You're not going to speak for the next nine or ten months. It's a pretty serious consequence. And then in Luke 2, we read of Mary's response. And what does Mary say? I don't understand how it's going to work, but if you say so. See, we don't have to know and understand all the intricacies of what's about to take place. We just have to trust that God knows what he's doing and that what God has promised, God will fulfill. And you see that when, when Zachariah, when the son is born and he, he's praising the Lord and he says his name is to be John when he finally is able to speak again because he, through some difficult nine, ten months, has realized what God's promised God's going to do. How much better is it if we just trust God without all the consequences leading up to that? Now, if you're anything like me, you probably have to learn the hard way a lot of times first. But what's interesting, too, is, is when you look in Hebrews in that, that hall of faith or hall of fame, uh, the heroes of faith, whatever you want to call it, is it, there's a verse in there that says something interesting. It says, all of them did not receive what was promised, but only saw it from a distance. Whatever the thing was that God had said, this is what's going to happen through you. They didn't see the complete fulfillment of that, but they saw the, 
the very beginning of it. And so they knew that because this was promised, Abraham died with his, his name going to be a great nation, and he died with not exactly thousands of descendants. Very, very few. But that didn't waver his belief or his trust in this. So he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Notice that verse 31 and 32. That is incredibly huge because there's a belief that's, it picks up traction and slows down and picks up and it kind of cycles. But there's this belief so often that, that Jesus was only for the Jewish people, or, or at least that was what was thought in the Old Testament. But what you see here is Simeon already is declaring, no, no, no. Jesus is for all people. And so I find that interesting because previous, in verse uh, 25, it says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's his focus. That God would come that the Messiah, he would bring the Messiah to the earth to free his people. That's his focus. And then all of a sudden, through the Spirit, he prophesies and he declares, you have prepared this in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. It's a lot of people argue that, that specifically Paul's writings and, and his missionary journeys, that they were out of step with what God's desire was. And you can see clearly, even from just this verse, God was planning that Jesus would be for all people, that he would reconcile every single one, Gentile and Jew, to himself. And so we cannot say just how important that was. The other thing that's implied in this text is, so a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel, is this ushering in of a new covenant. The old is done. The Gentiles are going to be grafted in, to use the phrase, the language of Romans 11. The Gentiles are going to be grafted into this family, and now the old covenant, which was for the Jewish people, that no longer exists, and now the new covenant, which is far superior, has come. Why is it far superior? Because it's based on the blood of Jesus Christ. Our only chance at redemption and the Savior. The old covenant was written, the sacrificial system was given, so that people could see the the need for a Savior and a perfect Savior. And that's why we celebrate communion as this reminder that we no longer have to sacrifice for our sins. Because Christ came. Christ paid the price for us on the cross so that we could find salvation, not in anything that we've done or the righteousness of our own works, but on the righteousness of Christ. And so when God sees us, he sees Christ in us. If we have confessed Christ to be our Savior. Simeon's hope. His hope was in simply one thing. And the Holy Spirit revealed to him, and, and I think written probably more for those coming after, including us, than, than even him himself, shows us that this is for all people, that this is far more inclusive than we ever could have imagined that not one person stands outside of the possibility of the grace of God. That all of us can turn to him. Every single one of us. And so that is where our hope in, in this Christmas season should come from. Our hope comes from the promise that God fulfills what he says. 
And when God says, I'm going to send the Messiah, specifically all through Isaiah, when God says, here's what it's going to look like, here's what's going to happen, here's how it's going to take place. And of course, it was so much more than that. But as we read through that, we can see that if God fulfilled those things, God will fulfill the promise that Jesus is going to come again. Because God doesn't lie. What God says happens. So where is our hope placed in? And this is why, again, I think a theology and understanding of God is important. Because if our hope wavers when we go through difficulty, is our hope is not fully based in an understanding of who Christ is. Now, let me clarify. That doesn't mean I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you will never have doubt or anxiety or fear or worry. That's human emotion. We're going to face those things. But what we can be reminded of is, I don't need to doubt. I don't need to worry. I don't need to think that God is not in control because my hope is in the fact that Jesus came and that he's coming again. And regardless of if that happens tomorrow or another 2,000 years from now, I know that the pain, the suffering, the hurt, I know that the difficulties, the obstacles, I know that whatever I'm going through will end and I will be with Christ for eternity. You hear me say this often, but Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. or or later in Luke, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, you need to pick up your cross daily and follow me. The implications of the life of a Christian are not that it's going to be easy, not that God only blesses you and financially makes you prosper and and gives you health. Uh, Scripture is actually quite opposed to that kind of view. It's what Jesus gives you is purpose and meaning. He gives you identity. He gives you the Holy Spirit to journey through your struggles so that you don't have to face them alone. That's the promise of Scripture. That's where our hope is placed in. Our hope is not placed in that, you know what, I'm assured financial security later in my life. You go tell our missionaries that and see how they respond to that. We can't tell them, don't worry, this disease that you have, this does not end in death. God's promise for you is that you'll be healthy can't say that. God's promise for us that we can say is that God loves us unconditionally, that he has promised that he will journey through the hurt with us, and that he will give us the Holy Spirit so that we are not alone. That's the promise. That gives us perspective. That gives us incentive that we can make it through this life, that even though the obstacles are difficult, even though uh, Christmas might not be exactly the way that we hope and we've invited family and some refuse to come because some aren't talking to others and there's all this hurt and this tension. We can go praise the Lord that one day, one day that will be finished. Christ will come and he will restore. That's where our hope is and that's where our focus should be. But notice also even the prediction here, the the prophecy from Simeon to Mary and Joseph. Behold, this is verse 34. Behold, the child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. In other words, what he's saying is, Mary and Joseph, what what your son is about to do is is not a simple task. And it's going to cause hurt and pain and heartache. And Mary, he doesn't say this explicitly, but we find this out later on. Mary, you're going to have to watch your son hang on the cross and die. 
But you can have hope in that because that death is not the end. That death paves the way for everyone to find salvation through Christ. We can see even in this small text the, the, the promises that will be fulfilled at the second coming of Christ. So as we celebrate the, the next couple of weeks here for Christmas, and as, uh, I, hope that, I hope that you have hope. That's a strange sentence. But I hope that all of us look forward to this and realize that there may be difficulties. No, I shouldn't say there may. There probably are difficulties in your life right now. And there's hurt. There's family tension. And there's difficulties and there's uncertainties and there's things that you're not sure what you're supposed to do. Don't place your hope in the outcome of that situation, but place your, out, place your hope in the outcome of the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you. And that he has promised he's coming again for you. And so we can persevere no matter how difficult it gets. And as Paul says, if it costs us our life, well, that is better by far because we'll get to go be with Christ now. Let's pray. God, we want to declare this morning that our hope is in you. Not in ourselves, not in our abilities, not in the future possibility of a job that's coming. Not in the possibility of a family, not in the possibility of, of anything that we can do. All of those things are temporal. Some of those things work, some of them don't. But none of them bring us an everlasting sense of hope. So God, would we focus on you this Christmas season? Would you give us opportunities to share the hope that we have in Christ with the world in need? God, Christmas can be an excellent opportunity to do that because there's so many in the world who are living without hope. And you have given it to us that we might share. So God, thank you for this hope. Thank you for the promises the reality is that we can know you are coming again. And help us to await eagerly with expectation that day. Amen. If you just want to turn to 1 Corinthians, we're just going to read our communion passage. And then we're going to pass communion around and, and celebrate together. And so if, if this is kind of unusual to you or you haven't seen this before, is there's two elements that we pass out. One represents the body of Christ. That's the, the cracker. And the, and the drink represents the blood of Christ. And so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to read through the passage. We're just going to remind ourselves of the price that Christ paid for us. Our, the guys who are coming up front are going to distribute communion. And then just hold it in your hand. And then we're going we're gonna to eat and we're going to drink together in remembrance of what Christ has done for us and in celebration that Christ is coming again. So let me just read this to you as the guys come forward. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body 
eats and drinks judgment on himself. Simple reminder to us is that when we come and when we when we pass these elements out is that this is a serious moment. And we just need to slow down. Remind ourselves of the price that Christ paid. Again, the longer that you've been a Christian, it can be more and more tempting to forget just how much it costs, God. Because it can become normal. And it should never become normal. It should always be this realization that, as Paul says, that we are the chief of sinners. And that we desperately needed Christ. So I'm going to pray over the bread and then the guys are going to pass it out. And then we'll just hold it together until we all have it and then we'll eat together. Let's pray. God, thank you that we can come and we can celebrate communion together. God, thank you that Jesus Christ came to the earth, that he lived this sinless, perfect life so that he could die on the cross for our sins, so that he could atone for what we could not. God, help us to see the importance and the significance of that and just the blessing, the immense blessing that it is that you love us so much. So God, as we pass out this bread, which represents your body broken for us. Help us to take a moment to see the severity of the price that you had to pay and yet that you were willing to do that because of your love for us. God, we are grateful. Amen.
is Christ's body broken for us. Let's eat in remembrance of him. God, as we pass out the cup which represents your blood now, God, we recognize that through Scripture that the sacrificial system was leading to a point where we would no longer need to offer sacrifices for our sins because your blood was perfect. So Jesus, we thank you for your blood shed for us, the only atonement for our sins. Thank you so much for your love, your unceasing love for us. Amen. This is Christ's blood shed for us. Let's drink in remembrance of him. God, we are thankful for your love this morning. We're thankful for the hope that you give us in the promise that Jesus Christ is coming again. And God, we eagerly await that with expectation. Would you fill us with that hope, especially this Christmas season, as as the festivities and everything gear our hearts and our minds towards Christ, would we remember 
you are coming again. And it's a promise that we can be certain of. God, go with us this week. We love you. Amen. Just a reminder that tonight there's no evening service here that'll take place. The community Advent service is